Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tried and True, a podcast hosted by Delaware War Machine. I'm your host, Paul. And this is Dan. It is just going to be Dan and I today. How are you doing, man? I am doing very well tonight. I had a very busy day, and I am really happy to button it up with a re- podcast recording. It's been a while since it was just you and me. Yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, uh, I had a day off, so I got to go and spend the time with the family and, you know, the group. You know, Lily's sleeping now, so uh, thankfully she's doesn't wake up anymore while I'm doing this, so I'm happy about that. But um, <laughs> let's let's get right into it, man. Folks, thank you so much for giving us your time to listening to this content. I mean, you you taking your time out of your day to listen to us really means a whole lot, so thank you. We want to go ahead and thank More Than Dice for giving us another platform. Shout out to Gonzo Warfare Weekend coming up soon, so you got to definitely go and make sure you are able to attend that. And there's plenty of other great podcasts that are out there. Check out the show notes for all the active ones. You got Ice King, you got Shop Talk, so much good stuff out there. Like, go give them a listen and then finally to all those patrons on patreon thank you so much for your continued support we really appreciate everything that you do for us because of you we're able to push out the really awesome content do the good battle reports and seriously for all you guys thank you so much and if you'd like to support the efforts and believe in what we're doing you just go take a look at the patreon in the show notes thank you so much so let's go ahead and talk about the current events. So PP News. Uh, Dan, have you been on PP's store at all? Have you seen like the new store website? Yeah. So I went on there the other day when you pinged me about it yeah. because I wanted to see if I could get like one or two off Winter Core stuff yet. And the ones I, w- I was looking for weren't quite available yet. But that new banner and side scrolling thing with all the images and everything that they've got uh, definitely dresses things up. And I really like seeing the studio artwork on the products. Oh my God. Yes. I, I think it's a huge deal, honestly. Let, let, let's talk about that because I got to go see the Volker Forge Master with like paint on. So I'm so excited for when I get to go and paint my second one to have a better idea because I did studio scheme with my Orgoth and I just want to make them to look as accurate as possible. Yeah. Now I can actually see like what the little tools are. I'm like, oh, wait a second. That's what that is. And it <laughs> really, really helps me out with that. So I'm super stoked about it. And they got lots of individual models, don't they? They do. And they're starting to come out with the things that were in the original starter boxes for, say, Wintercore and Orgoth and and Storm Legion. New resin formula, right? I think so. But I was actually thinking of the the singular available miniatures. Like, you know, you can buy just a unit of Arcanus now uh, instead of having to get it only available in the starter box. So I think that's, again, a step in the right direction. Now that they've pushed out those products in force, we're going back along. We're going to re-release them. If you just need one thing to complete your collection, here you go. I was going to say, because the new resin formula, I saw Emmanuel ended up posting the pictures of the witches, and he said that they were one piece in like the dark black resin. And I already have you know, two of the original core boxes of the witches, but I'm honestly thinking about just picking up another one just to have them be a little bit hardier. I mean, why not have three witches like in a list? And like knowing like this one is going to be a little bit beefier than the other ones. Yeah. But to your earlier point, I even started seeing some more thumbnail images on the stat cards in the app. And I'm looking right now on the uh, thumbnail for the battle mechanic. And like I, I just really like the paint scheme that they've done in the studio. So I'm going to try and go for that. But it, it definitely gives me something somewhere to go now that I've got those mechanics on my painting table. And then, well, speaking about the app, app updates, right? So what has been out since we've got out? Chimera has been released. And yep. just so that everybody knows, it's September 25th right now. So we're just going off of what's been released. So Chimera's out. We saw the Hydric. Have you looked at that thing? Like, do you see all of the, the head options and stuff? I did. And there are quite a lot. I feel like Chimera is an army that I would be interested in. But even as a veteran of War Machine, I need somebody to tell me how to play that army. 
because those head swap options and all of the different types of models that they have available to them are kind of going over my head a little bit. But I feel like if I could see it happening on the table, I could understand it a little better. So we'll see how I come around to that army once I've had some table time against them. I just like the Hydrix heads situation. So like you can make them all like three different heads or you can specialize to like make like a really, you know, dedicated gun battery or a beater. I just really like that compared to all the other Warjacks and Brine Bloods. It's just that it has the ability to really specialize to do one particular job as opposed to being like a, a, a jack of all trades or something like that. Or I guess you can make the argument that your Warjacks and the war beasts that we saw in Brine Bloods like could be like dedicated beaters or dedicated shooters, but it's just something with the Hydrix is just it, it's just rubbing something differently. I don't know what it is, but I think it just it 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 hums, it strikes a chord. I don't know what it does, but I think it's doing it right. That primal draconic energy tapping into yeah forever is what it and then they ended up having multiple model updates there's a, a text submission you go take a look at the app updates they were saying that there was things and then did you see the signar and circle unlimited uh got released yes and boy howdy did they <laughs> so which one do you want to pick and talk about do you want to talk about signar real fast or circle so i have opinions on both of them but like it's just so much stuff, man. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll throw out my top couple thoughts about both of them. It's not that many more models. It's just all the Warcasters, like, or sorry, the Warcasters and Warlocks is really, I think, what's the overwhelming bit of it. Well, that and the combinations, the fact that there's no restriction on like a quote unquote theme or army anymore means that you get to start to see very, very strange combinations that just do funky things and unexpected things. And it's a lot to it's a lot as a format to wrap my head around mentally. Like I used to play in Mark II, and I gotta say I do not miss the feeling of getting completely sidelined by an army that I didn't understand and had some weird combination. I fared much better in a reduced choice set which i think is why the hydrix also gives me so much anxiety i would just be worried about putting the wrong head on it the entire time you know as for individual things something that stood out to me is that they finally realized that temporal barrier is good enough to be a feat and not just a spell on Haley one thank god una 2 is back to her glory days of no melee attacks which means i need to get my kodiaks back out of the bin <laughs> You know, there's a couple other just crazy things rattling around. I heard I heard Pillars of Salt contest zones now. Hilarious. <laughs> okay, well, let's go ahead and talk real fast about conventions and other stuff. So time of this recording, we said uh, September 25th, yeah. 925, right? September 25th. So while this is going to be, this is looking to be like uh, released in about like a week or so. I'm assuming that probably by the time that this is being released, the Michigan GT and Clash at the Coast, those are two... Iron Gauntlet qualifiers, and they were the last of this, uh, I believe, this year that are happening. And that's that. They're happening now. Go immediately. I think they're, yeah. <laughs> if you're not going there, go. If you if you heard this on Patreon, go now. You might be there in time. <laughs> For Delaware War Machine news, the Steamroller Top Deck Games, I didn't go to it, but how was it? Because I think you, Eric, and Andy went to it. Can you want to talk about your experience with that? That store was incredible. I don't think I've ever been to a regular game store not a convention setting it's just a regular local tournament where the store is like no no no, we'll run everything for you we've got all the clocks we you're good to go just show up bring your players 
and whatever terrain you like to play with if it's different than what we have did they did they know the whole process did they or did it was like eric or Randy, or was somebody else like kind of like walking through or they, did they just know they ran it from longshanks and oh wow longshanks just does swiss pairings right so like that's the same for every game since chess you know that's not difficult if they've run magic the gathering tournaments if they've run anything else competitively they know how to do a swiss pairing Nice. Okay. So then you think that we're going to be having a lot more events there in the future? Oh, yeah. I would say the two words that come to mind are production quality. The tables are high tops, so you don't have to bend over that a 45 degree angle to do the Wargamer plank. (laughs) And they even had these little carts with, you know, a flat top and a couple of like staggered or high level baskets underneath of wire mesh that you could roll your army around from table to table if you wanted. I, w- I just took my army tray and put it right on top of the damn thing. And like not having to lift my army tray to get it from table to table. Incredible. Wow. There's so much what service cool stuff. Right. Yeah. What service? <laughs> what a world we live in. Wheels. What a time to be alive. Wait, didn't the caveman come up with that? <laughs> and then for future stuff we have. Susquehanna Scuffle is going to be October 7th. From the time of this recording, we are full up. It, it, the, all tickets have been sold. All the teams have been constructed. You're going to be participating in it. I'm yep. going to go help set it up. I am looking forward to seeing what that's going to go look like. I got drafted as a Merc this year, just like last year. So No, it'd be good. Makes sense for my uh, my my transplant Pennsylvania status here. Yeah, you're, 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 you're here by proxy. You're, mm-hmm. you're requisition. No, not requisition. Right. You're, par- you're partisan. Always been a Merc. So... Let's uh let's chat about the community finder site because you and I and Erica have been busting our asses on this. Like I'm really gonna go say we are. Uh, actually, I don't know if I say busting our asses, but like we've been we've been working really hard at uh completing it. Credit where it's due. You know, we love doing these projects, but they're oftentimes not a small amount of effort. It's it's time consuming. You know what it reminded me of is when we talked about trying to restart a meta where it's a lot of upfront work. And then you kind of get to the point that you're coasting. And I think doing all the entries that we did to begin with, like the 100 plus entries, was a lot of legwork. But it's just kind of now we just fill it as necessary. So it's 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 not that bad. But now that it's it's online now, how many more people are going to go fill it out? And it's like, oh, geez, it's like more entries. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I assume we'll see a spike when we uh, when we go live and people start being able to interact with it. But you know, that's kind of expected. And I know how to yep. import data now. So we're doing okay. So do you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about it? Because it was kind of like a combined effort, but I know you did your map and right. stuff. So if people don't know about what it is, how about you go ahead and share it? So this all started as Paul's idea. And he wanted to try and put down a condensed list of people that play War Machine and where you can find them. And if anyone has ever struggled to find a group to play with, this will resonate with you. Sometimes the hardest part is just being aware that others play the same game within a 10 mile radius. If you've moved to a new city or if you're just branching out or trying to explore areas around you or you want a breath of fresh air to play with somebody new, it can be difficult to find people when you're just starting out disconnected. So we wanted to try and help fix that problem for the larger war machine community so paul put out an apb google form basically saying fill this out tell us who you are tell us where you play war machine and tell us if you're looking for new players how do they find you how do they get in touch you know can they go to discord can they go to can they just show up what nights of the week do you typically play 
Or if you don't play weekly, how often do you have an event that they might be able to come to? And and we're going to feed all of this information back out to the community once we've collected it, cataloged it, and put it in a place where you can get it easily. So Paul's built like an entire web page for this, which is a monumentous effort to begin with. It was not that much work. It literally was just copy and pasting the stuff from the Google form. So it, it, it I appreciate the, the, the kudos. It was just a lot of time. It was just data entry. But at the end of the day, data entry is data entry. But I want to showcase what you did because you're like, I can make this a little bit better. And here's how. So I made an interactive map, which is something that I learned from work many years ago. And I had never done it since, but it's just kind of built into Google and you can just add pin drops all over the map globally. And I can just import your local game store to my map and say, this is where it is on the map. Anyone can search for it. If you're within a 25 mile radius, here are all the people that play War Machine within 25 miles of my location in every direction. And you can see that on the map and you can zoom in, zoom out. You can click on these little pins. You can see information about when they meet on Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights or only once a month, but they always have a tournament, you know, that sort of thing. And there will be information for their discords will pop up there. And you can see all that stuff basically in real time. You know, every couple of days when we get some new entries, I put I put new pins on that map and, and we hope to keep this effort rolling. How did you feel when you put, you know, the 50, 60, 70 pins and you just like stood back? And you saw how many people were playing this game across the world. Because I got very, very, very big warm and fuzzies when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's f***ing cool. I like, I just like zooming out and, and watching more pins come up along the, the edges of the map as from east to west as I go further and further out. And then the map is just covered in people playing War Machine. It's pretty sick. And then what about like the LFGs where you have these people looking right. for groups and then sure enough, you go take a look not even like five miles away. There's actually a meta that's right there. If you didn't know about them, this is a good option. Right. Uh, and I'm uh, those are the entries that excite me the most because those are the people that are hurting for the games the most. And so I've got about you know half a dozen uh, looking for group entries or looking for a game entries already on my map. And I'm setting them aside in a separate, like a separate filter. So you can easily see any LFG pins on the map, you know, just by themselves. That way you can filter out established metas if you like. And if you're saying, hey, if we want new players, we should try to reach out to this guy over here and get him to come to our store. And that could be a reverse way of finding it. So even if you uh, are not actively looking for a group, you want to put your name down as, yeah, I'll play War Machine if somebody you know, wants to set up a game, send us your info. We can put you on the map. We can get you a game of War Machine, hopefully. And, you know, if half of the people that have already sent me information ever use this thing, you know, we'll, I'll call that a success, you know, because that's, that's 50 more people that have been, been able to play games with a friend. And that's, that's a success in my book. And that's what we're trying to do at the end of the day. We're trying to get people to the tables. We're trying to grow those communities. And I think a lot of the issues run into this is a not popular game. No one plays nearby me because I don't know who is around who even still plays this game. And then if all those players end up filling in the LFG, you'd probably find that there's probably people around who have models that want to go play and they didn't realize that you exist. So to everyone who's listening, if you know these individuals or if you, you hear these stories, like please fill in the information. We're going to go get you where you need to be. You're going to go meet people. You'll get your games in. You'll have a good time. 
And the other really nice thing about it is that the resource that we're building is dynamic and it's live. So if there's ever a mistake in the information or if your group or your meta kind of changes hands, so to speak, and there's a new organizer, you know, we can easily swap out contact information or a store address if you have to uh, change stores or if your your brick and mortar store up and moves, we can we can record a new location for you. So if you ever find using this map now or in the future that some of your information is either outdated or incorrect, please reach out to us and we'll do our best to get it fixed up for you. We just want to make sure that people can find you and people can play games with you because this game is much better when you're playing it. 100%. And check the show notes, you'll see the links. We, you know, we have them everywhere. Like please 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 spend like the the 2 or 3 minutes filling the information and then that way we can get more people playing. Dan, have you cuz I think you missed the last Acres machine. <laughs> we should probably actually talk a little bit about this. Right. So we have a uh, WTC player, Acres. He was gracious enough to say, hey, people are interested in learning aspects of the game. I can host Dojo Shop Talks, and, and we host them on Friday nights on our Discord's Discord server. And so far, the, the two ones that we had, the first one had a bit of a botched recording, but the, the second one was perfectly fine. I, I feel like I've learned so much from Acres and being able to uh, be a, a more dynamic player. Yeah, so I was unfortunately not able to make the first one, which didn't get recorded. But the second one, I also couldn't make live, but I was happy to have a recording of that one. And I did learn a couple of things. I think I, I said in our, our Discord today, I actually made a list after listening to this, and I don't hate it immediately. I think it started as like a happy accident. We have a player assistance channel in our Discord. So anyone that is like, hey, I'm having a lot of trouble with this matchup, or you know, hey, I, I've never played this army before. Can somebody help me understand what I'm doing here? You know, he hopped in to help somebody out. 20 minutes later, they were like, do you want to just get on the phone and I can hash it out with you? I can talk to you about all this stuff. And, you know, next thing you know, it's like Friday night at seven, we're recording this. And uh, it's it's a lot bigger deal than we thought it was going to be, but it's pretty awesome. Yeah, the, the way that we looked at it was that I and I'm going to go say this, right? I cannot offer armchair experience. I am not a player of this caliber that is able to look at the game in the ways that these WTC players and these super hyper competitive players look at the game. So it's really great to have an option for those that really like to listen to that stuff. So if you haven't checked it out on youtube already it is in the show notes you can go take a look and if you want to go join in the discord server and actually be part of this live discussion literally like we were just like all sitting into this uh voice channel while acres was talking about it and he said you have any questions like you're you're able to pose a question like real time and he gives you honest feedback and honest answers yeah and like it it's a great resource to have but we do recognize it's kind of like next level stuff or advanced level game theory so we're kind of carving it out as its own section of content in case anyone wants to listen to just that and so that again the whole idea about it is just that it's focusing on improving your skills gameplay the last one was list building so it's like you know why are you building this list and what is it supposed to accomplish and how to come up with a list pairing and frankly like i i look at lists now i'm like what does this do and why do i have it here is there something else that accomplishes that goal better you know, Paul, I've been asking myself these questions about my lists for years now, and I've never answered them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, with that, let's go ahead and segue to our last little introductory thing. We got the community spotlight. Uh, if you're not aware, with that Google form, there is a small section in there that says if you want to go and get highlighted, uh, we'll go ahead and you know, if we have the opportunity. We'll, we can talk shop, bring you on, and have you talk about your meta. A quick caveat is that we're doing our best to add in community members whenever possible. But just because you say yes to this question on the forum doesn't mean that we can guarantee that we're going to be able to line up a schedule with yours or find a day to record, but we will do our best to try. Dude, uh, it's actually very accurate because I think of all the things like we have like over 100 entries and I want to say at least like over half of them are saying like, yes, we don't mind going on. And if we're only doing one podcast a month, like we're literally that's going to be like five years. (laughs) Yes, please make no mistake. We have had an outpouring of support for this effort. And I would say 80 to 80, probably at least 80% of the entries that I've seen and entered into that map have had people saying, yes, I would love to be a part of your podcast. And I did not expect that many people to say, yes, I'm sorry, but (laughs) we will never be able to get all of them done. So please just be a bit understanding with us when it comes to that. We do our best to give you the option to be a part of this effort but but it has to be taken with a bit of a grain of salt is all i'm saying i i know i pitched the idea is potentially like maybe like we could do a podcast episode where it's just nothing but community spotlights and that could maybe be a way to shore it up i don't know what that would look like i don't yeah. want to make any promises but like that's at least an idea that i'm tossing around and again if that is something that is interesting to people let us know in the comments you know give us some feedback let let us know what you want to see and what we can offer you in a podcast and and hopefully we can make that happen yeah the thought would be like let's we're hitting the east coast of the united states we're hitting the west coast we're hitting europe you know and like that's how we would that's how i would imagine like we'd go about doing that episode yeah let us know please like seriously like comment if you want to hear that if you think it'd be good stuff and you know we'll see if we can make time for that so on this episode we have endre from oslo norway to uh talk about his meta Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Community Spotlight. On this section, we're going to have Endre from Oslo, Norway. Go ahead and say hello. Uh, hello there, people. Endre was gracious enough to go ahead and sign up with the Google Form Spotlight section, so we wanted to go ahead and take a look on what War Machine looks like overseas. So, Endre, the floor is yours. How about you go ahead and introduce yourself, how long you've been playing, and just describe like your current meta. What is it like right now? What is the play styles like? And the floor is yours. My name is Endre Fodstad, and I've been playing War Machine ever since uh, Hordes came out. Originally in Denmark, and then I moved up back to Norway uh, in the early two- 2010s and uh, started up a meta here. And we have a fairly decently sized meta at the moment. There are two clubs in Oslo, and also a club just outside Oslo. And there is a War Machine presence, well, at all three, but uh, it's mostly the two Oslo clubs. And uh, as the capital of Norway, Oslo has always had the biggest War Machine meta. It's um, typically been the, the dominant one for a number of reasons. And at the moment, it is the most active. I don't think we can really say that the other cities have much of an active war machine presence at the moment. And I'm guessing we are 20-something active to semi-active players, which, of course, only like 10 to 15 are really active, as it always is. These things rotate around. And the story of our, I mean, we are, um, as many European countries, we have a club-based system for running our games. When I got back here, we played quite a lot at a local game store. But that 
game store downsized a bit not too long ago and has limited space. And so ever since a bit before Mark III, we have mostly been playing in clubs. And uh, when I got back in uh, in 2010-2011 and uh, started up a group here, we had the, like we were a growing growing group from 2010 to around uh, when a bit before Mark III launched. And that coincided with, as many people know, the release of Age of Sigmar and the discontinuation of the old world. So when that happened, we got a big influx of former Warhammer Fantasy players and a club that had previously been close to anybody but Warhammer Fantasy players now also took up War Machine. So we got a big sort of shot in the arm uh, and, and our competitive scene grew quite a lot. Before we'd been playing in that club, there had been sort of a casual slash competitive scene in the Oslo region. It has also spread to other country, other regions of the country. But and we, we've, we've been doing leagues, we've been doing a lot of sort of beginners, so we've been doing a lot of recruitment. Uh, and this, but this transfer into the club meant that we got, we, we had a very competitive focus for some time. And this culminated in uh, Norway winning the last WTC before the lockdown started and COVID came along. And as a result of this, we did not have very strong recruitment. Uh, we had mostly recruited people who were very much into competitive gaming for some time because when we left the shops and then uh, when most of the war machine playing was centered around this club, which is a, a you pay to be a member club. During COVID, we lost quite a lot of people. Uh, we can still get a decent turn number, so uh, 14, 15, 16 people if we if we go for it uh, locally. Uh, more if we invite the Swedes, of course, who are also quite active. But uh, but it's not like in the old days where we had 24 man tournaments every second month or something. Personally, I also took a break uh, just before COVID hit because I, I moved, I uh, had children, uh, I bought a house. So from 2017 to 2019, early 2020, I was more or less gone from the community. And when I came back, we were going into the, the lockdown phase and uh, things were slowly winding down. So I'm, uh, I'm me and a bunch of the other guys and a couple of the new people who came in are are trying to restart things now. And we're doing things, I think. The Oslo meta is healthy. I wanted to ask, because of the Mark IV releases, how has the Mark IV releases, are, are, are the products able to get to Oslo? And is it like readily available on the shelves for people to go and purchase and discover the game? They are readily available. We have one of the clubs in Oslo is associated with the game store, which is the, a game store that is also a distributor of War Machine. So we have product on the shelves there. But it's it's a small, like, it's a, this store has like a, a smaller sort of uh, section of the club, which is open on certain weekdays, and the product is in the shelves there. There is very little product in miniatures, in the miniature sense, in the larger game stores in Oslo. They mostly only have Warhammer stuff at the moment. But it used to be, before COVID, they had like everything. It was Guild Ball, it was War Machine, it was things from Spartan Games, uh, Warhammer, everything. But, but after COVID, things just sort of wind down for every game. So when it comes to sort of the gaming scene here now, COVID ensured that there's a big active AOS and fantasy and 40k scene, of course. Uh, and then there are small groups that do Star Wars games, Lord of the Rings, quite a tiny bit of Kill Team, and, and of course War Machine. Uh, but all those smaller game scenes are rebooting now and getting back up. Uh, and some games never got the foothold at all. 
it's amazing that you said about like it as a rebooting because we're finding it similar here as well as online. We'll see the people saying like, I used to play back in Mark II. I heard about the edition change and then they're they're trying to get their feet wet into it. Do you have these older players even from like the Mark I or Mark II eras that say, I have all these old models and can I still play with them? We are seeing people coming back. People that we haven't seen since Mark II. Yeah, people that uh, they were active back when we were playing in the more casual sense, uh, in the smaller clubs and the, the open clubs uh, that were back then, as well as the shop, the, the old uh, Oslo Game Store shop. So we are seeing it. I'm not. I'm not sure. We, I would call it the giant revitalization. A uh, lot of the people who are playing are people who have played for a long time, but there are new people coming in, and uh, and they are playing playing the new armies as well as their old armies. That's really great to hear. And I guess to end this community spotlight segment, what are you doing in your area to? bring people in or help champion the game and what are some lessons learned that you have that you could share with the greater community as a whole so that way we can make sure we get these players to the tables and get these potential players who just like discovered Orgoth or Storm Legion for the first time say now nah, this is actually a real like awesome game you should definitely check it out. One of my main focuses is getting 3D terrain or rather 2.5D terrain back on the tables uh, because we've been playing 2D for a long time and uh, this is a belief I haven't checked this but I assume that it's it's something that hurts recruitment so we are getting 3D terrain back up tables in both the Oslo clubs uh, and I am also running leagues people are helping me running leagues in the, the smaller club which is um, have a, has a more casually oriented player base to uh, we're running the new resurrection league for example and several players there are using the new armies but I am simultaneously involved in the W2C and playing in the, the Norwegian uh, B team. I guess we could call ourselves. <laughs> we, we used to have two highly competitive teams. Now we have one highly competitive team and one team where people who perhaps have not practiced quite as much are, are playing. So I'm, I'm doing both at the moment. And I'm also getting help from my local local community doing that. But I think that I'm just getting out there, giving demos if possible, having cool looking tables, cool looking models, showing things off and being a positive influence in your miniature gaming community is that is really the important part of recruitment uh, for War Machine. And I'm a guy who plays many different game systems. Uh, I just have a focus on War Machine at the moment. So to go ahead and end this, I wanted to ask people who are in Oslo or in the surrounding regions, maybe in those other towns that had War Machine metas, they don't exist anymore but they want to get back into it, how can they get in contact with you? Or what's the best way to, to reach out to this gaming club that you're talking about? There are two gaming clubs in Oslo uh, and also one in Drammen. The two in Oslo are called 2D6 or Spillforeningen 2D6, which basically just means the gaming community 2D6. And the other one is called OMSK, uh, which stands for Oslo Miniaturespill Club, which means, uh, or Oslo Miniaturespill Club, I guess, the proper pronunciation is, uh, which just means the Oslo Miniatures Gaming Club. Uh, and uh, both of those have Discords, and both of those have Facebook groups, and you can find those both on the War Machine community and Hope uh, community page. I have added them as... Uh, as uh, venues for playing War Machine on the PP community and you can also find them I think I think I sent the links when you did your community uh, tracker and you can find me or anyone in our groups really uh, through both of these clubs is the easiest way to do it you can also contact uh, Midgard Games uh, that is the distrib- distributor uh, of War Machine in Norway he'll get it over to me eventually and uh, we are playing every week 
usually it's it's Wednesdays at uh, two to six, which is down on the center also, and Thursdays at uh, uh, Omsk, which is up on the Eanser region, which is about five minutes by subway away, and also on Sunday sometimes in both clubs. And you'll typically find the the more competitively oriented players will be playing at two to six. Whereas the more relaxed players will be playing at uh, at Omsk at the moment. Andre, thank you so much for your time hanging out with us and being able to share about your community's information. We'll definitely make sure that your locations are, are flagged down. If you want to go take a look at the community site, because it is published at this point. If you go take a look at Oslo, Norway, you're going to see all these locations that he talked about. Check the show notes for those. If you're interested in having your community highlighted, we have the Google form. If you end up filling it out, we may be able to find time and plug you into the show so that way people can in the surrounding area can know that games are being played and you know you can get more people to the table so again thank you so much for uh, coming on to the show and uh, again for giving us your time thank you uh, and swedes and danes you have not as far as i can see uh added to the google sheet get off your lazy backsides and do it i know you're there i speak to you i'm playing you on war table <laughs> i appreciate it all right cool thank you thank you all right and with that we'll go ahead and get back to the podcast All right, and that was Entre from Norway. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and get into the actual topic for the day. Dan, how are you coming along with painting your winter core? Funny story about that. I've kind of stalled out, but I just today grabbed some miniatures out of the bag and I put them on my, my work desk to remind me that they're still not painted and I need to get back to these guys. <laughs> so they're, they're guilting me right now. That and Baldur's Gate 3 has thrown a monkey wrench in my schedule, so... <laughs> for me it was like it's door fortress yeah. yeah what um and what was the process were you using were you doing acrylic based stuff or are you using any contrast paints? so for the winter core i started out using my you know regular metallics from privateer press but i tried to do the majority of the models in army painter speed paints just to see how much of this army i could really get done with you know a couple colors from a basic set and some other things i picked up then the by the time I got through the first box and one set of Warjacks, Army Painter launched their metallic set. And I was like, I've had so much fun with the speed paints already. I'm going to pick those guys up and switch over to metallics to, you know, cut down on the uh, shading and everything else that I might have to do. So the majority of the winter cores mostly done with Army Painter products. And I'm having a blast doing it. It's quick, easy, fun. So it's, it's got a lot of stuff to like. And I can't spill their dropper bottles like I used to do with the freaking <laughs> GW contrast paints. I can't tell you, I have a cutting mat that is just all black now. It's just been bathed in contrast. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to do with it. No, I was going to say, because one of the biggest things I've been enjoying, because I've been using the speed paints as well, when 2.0 came out, I ended up saying that because the Orgoth army, I, I I don't really have the time to do as much detail work as I used to. So the speed paints were able to be a happy medium. And I have to say, man, like the stuff, that I uh, am able to pull off with it is really good. Everyone always comments on my rock carriers, like how good they look. And the other night I just finished my Siege Tarrasque and it just looks like, it just slaps. It's such a great paint job. It's just such a great result. And, you know, for us talking about speed paints, it's actually going to segue us into our guest today. We have somebody from the Army Painter here and we'd like to go ahead and introduce him. His name is Adam 
Uh, Bromowitz? Did I say that correctly? You, you did great. No, Adam, I'd, I'd love for you to remind our listeners, this is a cheeky joke, I'd love to remind our listeners that we're not being paid to say any of this. We just love your products. Well, I was going to ask you guys, were you just listening into the little intro there? Were you just being real nice to mention speed paint multiple, <laughs> multiple times? No, Because no, you did that's... open with, did you use any contrast paints? And I was like, oh, this is going to go south real quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually a uh, true story. I wanted to try doing the winter core models in almost exclusively bead paints um, because I had seen previously what I could do with GW's contrast line. But since knocking over that bottle several times and just dealing with having to you know, reseal the, the bottles for the GW paints and not being able to work as easily with them and an airbrush, I have just said, you know what? I love these dropper bottles. I can do... Everything that I was just doing with GW Contrast, I can do with Army Painter. I want to give this a shot. This is how I stretch myself as a painter for this project. I want to do it as much as possible in Army Painter. Yeah, and Adam, I wanted to mention, I mean, and we'll, we'll talk about it more, but being a dad, and I always like say, being a dad now, but, but in all seriousness, like between my family commitments and my work commitments and, and doing the podcast and, and still trying to find time for the hobbying stuff. I just don't have the time to like paint models like I used to. And it was when I, I ended up getting the army painter, like 10, 10 set. And I think Dan and I got it. We, we got it at Nova 22, yep. right? Oh, we yeah. got it like for the team event. Yeah. And like, that's where we ended up getting it. And I, I played around with it. I'm like, holy shit. Like this stuff is like really, really nice to work with. So when you end up having the 2.0 launch, I was going head first into it. And I uh, knew that at least for when I was going to go pick up a Mark IV army, I knew that this would be able to get me from point A to point B from not painted to painted army. And the, the compliments that I get for it, I mean, it's not anything that's going to go win a competition, but the fact that it looks good and I get compliments on it just shows that the, the product is really top notch. And, you know, uh, kudos to the company. I, I'm, I'm really proud of actually both releases, Speed Paint and the, the update, because I think both were extremely viable products and versatile products. Um, and it's just, it, it's, we get to hear people all the time saying that, e, A, I'm, I'm, I'm painting more models, right? So that's always good. That's what, I mean, we are the army painter, so it's all about army painting for us. And I also hear from a lot of people like painting has now become more enjoyable for them. Yes. Because to, to get decent results, like you said, you're not going to win awards with an, a speed paint only army. Now, I will say the new formulation makes the paint so much more versatile because uh, using it as a glaze, using it as a filter through the airbrush, you're starting to see, and I am starting to hear more and more from you know those showpiece, those competition painters, specifically a, a piece that did very well at Nova. The artist messaged Justin was just like, "Hey, just so you know, these speed paints are amazing. I used it this way, this way, that way. Thought you know ways that most people don't think to use the paints, but it's such a versatile product nowadays with the changes that we made to the formulation that you are starting to see it used in so many different ways." Well, Adam, what we need to do right now is actually introduce you so people know who you are and what your position is in the Army Painter. So I, I was able to do a little bit of research because, you know, LinkedIn is a thing. So graduated <laughs> from Ohio University 2006. That's right. Print collateral project manager at Specialized Bicycle Components, creator manager at Team Tom's Shoes, PR and media specialist at International Bike Distribution, founder of Beyond the Brush Studios, a miniature paint commission service, founder of Kind Human Bicycle 
bicycles and now working at the army painter as the media director and now tactical promotions executive did i miss anything yeah actually you missed like a good few years when i i, I lived in la and worked in hollywood but yeah i worked at intervention that was one of my first gigs and then i i was Polly shore's assistant for a little while that sucked but yeah pretty much went right to work for specialized bicycles and turned my passion for video creation into kind of more of a marketing career. I've always wanted to, to work with products. I, I think when I went to school, I had actually had dreams of making a Warhammer 40k movie and then realized I, I was never cut out to be a movie director or writer and I wanted to do commercials. And uh, I kind of had the opportunity to do that with Specialized Bicycles. And then as social media became a thing, I kind of found my way into doing video creation for small to medium-sized businesses and then on to larger businesses. I mean, come to think of it, Army Painter was a very small business when I, I started. I think that there was around 17 employees, and that was only six years ago. And now we're almost 90 employees today. So yeah, I did a, a lot of media marketing, video production for for smaller companies. I was going to say, we'll eventually hit on that. I ended up going on to army painters website and realizing like I, they, they've not been around for that long it was like i'm like scrolling down to like my notes what was it, 2007 was when the quickshade product ended up coming and then like now they're at speed paints 2.0 so i mean like it's it's a relatively i mean because I, I i dated from when like i was in high school you know it was a relatively young company mm -hmm. but i mean it's definitely making its its mark on the hobby and i mean i feel like every single game store i see i normally see like a rack whether it is the the pro painter stuff or the speed paints or your hobbying tools like they're they're everywhere now yeah and you know credit to Bo and and our other founder jonas jonas is now retired he's actually coming to visit me next week so i'm excited for that haven't seen him in a while Bo and jonas they understood retail very well you know they they both had experience working at games workshop in sales at workshop they understand the needs of a retailer and how to support them so anytime we develop a product we have to have a retail solution for it right at the end of the day your retailers are the people that are supporting the community they're, they're the first people to sponsor that war machine tournament they're the first people to run a paint and take you know they're supporting the local cons uh the local tournaments uh, local painting competitions first and you know they're giving a lot of people place to play and they don't make money doing that necessarily you know unless nowadays there's a lot of people moving into doing you know food and bev at their store which is a great idea but you know i've spent more time in game stores playing games and painting than i have actually purchasing you know so they are the pillars of the community and and credit to bo and jonas for building a company that really supported brick and mortar early on and what that's allowed us to do as we've grown you bring me in to start doing some marketing and promotions to the end consumer because everything was very retail focused for the first 10 years you know we had a, a solid bedrock we had a solid infrastructure that infrastructure has just continued to grow and it's been great we, we love our retailers we love going to shows and and hearing how our products are working for them taking their feedback and uh you know you know we did the paint development team for speed paint 2.0 right but we we also work with retailers on that front we always bounce ideas through you know trusted retailers that that we know and can give us input so we're constantly trying to make the business better and community better with everything that we do down to how we create products. Uh, just to dovetail off the uh, history of Army Painter though, I feel like I went through this natural progression as an Army Painter customer. I was like, I have so many miniatures that I just painted for this giant army and, and it's all infantry. So it's just a mess. I, I got done all the base colors and everything and I just want to cry now. I don't want to go back and shade everything. What do I do? <laughs> and my friend's like, so have you heard of quick shade? Yeah. And I'm like, what now? And he goes, you just dunk the miniatures in there and then you 
let them dry for like a day and the entire army is shaded. And I'm like, where do I get that? (laughs) So that was actually the first product. That was, that was the number one product. There's a great story about it. If you, if you want to hear it, I was just taking a peek at your website and I was looking at basically you have two guys in a shed filling these uh, tins of, yeah. of quick shade. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, the shed is still there. They're out in the woods somewhere, <laughs> like putting this stuff in a can, you know? <laughs> it's like you, you make a moonshine, like, no, we'll make a shade, man. <laughs> it's still, it's still on Bo's property. He still has an army painter sign in the front of it. <laughs> he will still from time to time go there to take meetings when he's working from home. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, and it's the the incredible thing is Jonas had this product. Jonas was a retailer. He he had a store, and it was called the Fanatic. And I th- believe there were two locations. I might be wrong on that. So the store's called Fanatic. I believe it was outside of Copenhagen. And he came to Bo with this this tub of goo, and said, "Do we have a product here?" And the product was called the Fanatic Army Painter, right? Because it was that it was the the store's army painter. So obviously you bring Bo the marketing genius in, and he says, "No, the company's got to be Army Painter. That's how we're going to sell this. And this is our product, Quick Shade." And then it evolved from there, you know, to color primers, right? We were, mm-hmm. we were the first to do color primers the way that we do it, and they are actual real priming agents, so they they really stick to just about anything, which is pretty amazing. But you add to that the color primer, the Quick Shade, then the War Paints, and now Speed Paints. It was the natural evolution, right? We when the one coat paint system, the contrast was released. It's like, oh, that's that should have been our thing. Uh, but the beauty of it is that we got to see how it did on the market. We got to look at it. We got to test it. And we could see what we maybe could do different or better. When, and I think that's the advantage that we had with speed paint. Yeah. I definitely hit a point in my painting career where I said to my friend, wait, Army Painter makes paints now? <laughs> Seemed funny at the time. But uh, I guess I had never actually put two and two together that the paint from army painter wasn't wasn't your flagship product and to see that you know evolve in this way is you know actually a compelling story so you know congrats on that history and helping bring them you know for lack of a better term into the you know 21st century with your social media endeavors and everything but i think what paul and i really want to talk about now is the army part of army painter yeah you know, we we put these models on the table we like to see all different colors all over them but When it comes down to it, we're here because we love playing a game with these paint jobs that we're so proud to display. So talk to us about that part of the hobby. What's your favorite game? Is it War Machine or something else? Or, you know, generally, what's your what's your favorite type of thing to paint, too? Oh, man. I mean, that's 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 tough. My my gateway was, I think, like a lot of kids reading Lord of the Rings at an early age, seeing wood elves at a games workshop store and falling in love time off to play ball sports, you know, high school girls. But in college, they released this new 40k race. And I, I wasn't into 40k sci-fi stuff. I was pretty dedicated fantasy kid. But I saw these Tau. I'm like, that doesn't look like anything I've ever seen before. I want to try that. And I never played a game legitimately from age 12 until I was 27. And I dove in pretty hard with Warhammer 40k. Actually started a podcast just before I started with the company called the Best General Podcast. I wanted to try and win a GT and it kind of tracked my journey, which was really fun. I had Olympic sports psychologists on. I had professional cyclists. I had a professional Olympic rower on, you know, to talk about competition and psychology and how to uh, just take a different approach to trying to win 
a, a toy soldier game, you know? So I was pretty hardcore 40K for a long time. And now that I'm not playing competitively, I've started to branch out more. I have a Conquest City States Army waiting to be painted. I have had some War Machine models that I liked. I don't even remember what the names are, but I've painted them in the past and they're somewhere in a box because I recently moved. I helped Victoria Miniatures recently. She launched a, a new Rough Rider a squad and it's really cool approach. It's basically a, a horse chassis and legs of a rider. And there's five or six different factions that can, you know, or, or styles of, of riders that can go on top. And I've had this long held dream of doing a Polish Hussar themed Astra Militarum 40k army. And Dave Taylor, who's a world famous painter and one of my childhood idols, put me in touch with Victoria saying, hey, Adam's got this idea. He wants to do a, a grimdark Hussar army. What do you think? And I got to help her with the designs that went in her most recent Kickstarter. So I just painted 30 of those. That was really fun, uh, kind of an homage to my grandfather. And I am participating in Orktober. I'm starting to dabble in like showpiece painting and masterclass stuff. Of course, there's an Orktober. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's Orktober's great. It's uh, if you're not familiar, but basically everybody on the internet that paints miniatures, especially Warhammer miniatures, paints an orc of some sort during Orktober. And right now, there's probably eight of us at the company that are participating in our own, you know, intercompany challenge. That's actually a lot of fun and, and definitely builds in community. Uh, like just a segue onto War Machine players. I know that we used to do a thing it was called the Point of Day Challenge, where people would join up with like a group. It wasn't like anything official, but it was a uh, I mean, as official as it can be, but what people would do is you would try to paint 30 or 31 points, you know, for whatever month it was. And it was an initiative in order to go and get people to go get their models painted. And it's it just it's neat where people end up championing this idea of. You know, I, I want to see more paint on the table. How can we do that? Or how can we motivate others to go and do it? And, you know, it, it's like with anything else, even like trying to start up a meta, you get like one or two people to begin with, but then it starts to catch wind, you know, and like more people and more people want to go get involved. And, you know, before you know it, like a whole thing explodes out of it. I mean, it's, it is a cool thing to paint tiny soldiers. And it's, it's a great thing to play games. But the I think, you know, why these challenges and these point of day type things really work is because you have somebody keeping you accountable. It's almost like like weight loss or trying to get in shape, right? It's really hard to wake up and go to the gym. You love the results of going to the gym. You love rolling the dice, you know, and pushing the models around. But it's even better when it's painted, right? But sometimes painting can be a chore for some gamers. So when you have people to keep you accountable, I think it just, it builds and it becomes more fun. I agree. You know, for me, for my part, I always love looking at all the miniatures, but they're even cooler when they're painted. I, I just find that yeah. to be like the law of the universe for me. Um, I've, I've never seen an unpainted miniature and go, man, that looks so much cooler than the painted version, you know, but I like to do it all for I, I always like to approach a hobby and say, you know, I'm going to try all the different parts about this. I love playing the game, but I also want to really experience what it is to paint something. I don't want to just, uh, personally, I don't want to just give up on that part and, you know, hire a commission painter. My miniatures are going to be my miniatures. They're going to feel like mine because I put the work into painting them. And at the end of the day, that makes me more attached to those miniatures. I'm less likely to, you know, resell them. Uh, if I have a bad day or a bad tournament, I, I'm committed, you know, that makes me love the game even more. 
that's and to me that's that's just it is is it's i think that's what drew me in as well is the customizability to it right like you're really making it your own yeah. um and, and and i don't know i that i think that's what was my initial draw to tabletop gaming to begin with yeah i mean i primarily play kador and they even make a color called kador red and i hate it uh, it's just it's just ever so slowly too bright for me and so i've always use like a more dull tone for my army because I really like that burnt or weathered or, you know, matte look more than the, you know, just really shiny, you know, candy colored war machines. They just, I just feel like the, the paint would never hold up in the weather. So. <laughs> and now you're, now you're taking, I, I love when people take like, like real life science and physics and try to apply it to like crazy mech suits that come from another planet and <laughs> or universe. I mean, like even, even when was the last time you saw a Caterpillar construction machine that was like bright and shiny? It gets that way. It gets On the dull after a like a trailer. day, man. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I've seen the same thing though with like where people will get drop ships and be like for the space Marine drop ships. Right. And because that they're launched from space and it's just like a pristine thing. And I, my favorite ones of those are where it's weathered or burnt or like you literally the paint mine. is chipping on or just burnt <laughs> off. I was going to say the, the undercarriage is scorched from the reentry, you know, mm -hmm. I yeah, love exactly. I mean, weathering stuff is, is a, it's such a hack, right? Like it's, it's another <laughs> yeah. cheat code because it's easier now, granted, like if you're weathering like a golden demon winner, you know, you're doing you're, you're taking hours to do that. But when you're weathering your your armies for tabletop, you're saving so much time doing it and getting a really cool effect. You know, I I uh, I, I really f***ed up that blending right there. Would be a shame if he caught a bullet or an explosion right there. <laughs> All, every, every army I have has some sort of weathering to it. It's it's just yeah, it's cheat codes. Yeah, it's great. Well, Adam, I wanted to switch gears for a little bit, and I wanted to do a, a recent highlight for the Army Painter that you guys actually just recently broke your 100K subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was a, we're kind of kicking ourselves now. Like, why didn't we, we do big giveaways all the time. Why didn't we just do this much, much sooner? But we're really happy that we did because we have so much cool stuff in store, and we want to make sure that nobody misses out on it number one and the easiest way to do that is to grow your youtube base the average human being spends 44 hours a month waking hours a month on youtube so of course we want to have a big presence there but i'm really proud of our team i don't think any of us thought we we would have been really happy if we got to sixty thousand at this point what was the growth like do you actually have like the numbers on growth on like months and how long it's been since you hit this uh this milestone uh so it's been two weeks i think and we're already at like, as of yesterday, 111. <laughs> so it's still going. It's kind of crazy. And I, I think another another part of that is like I was initially hired to do the community outreach, the video, the social media. And I'm at a point now where I'm hiring a bunch of people that are much better at the little things that I did than I am. So the quality is just improving. And Lassa is uh, our head videographer. We've actually just hired another, Danny. But Lassa is just a GD wizard. He's able to turn around such amazing quality content so fast. And we have a lot of fun doing it. If you watched any of the videos, we're, we're acting like a bunch of jackasses. Because, look, we, we work in the tabletop gaming industry and we make paints. Like, we, 
we have fun at work. So why wouldn't we want to share that in our content, right? But I I want to shift gears for a second because as part of this competition, you know, we gave away a bunch of box sets, but the, the main winner was to get a speed paint rack. Mm-hmm. And I think somebody on this show was the recipient, randomly picked 100,000%. We used a, a third-party system to pick comments for all of the prizes. Um, it's verified. You could check on it on our website. But I think one of them won that rack, and he's on the show with me right now. <laughs> and they didn't make a big deal about it because... I thought it was a scam. <laughs> I was like, I thought it was a scam when I first saw it. Aren't you putting the product back into the community? Okay, it's weird. Let me let you just start with this. Okay. I work, I work in education... So I'm just doing my thing. I I have on my computer. I, I get a YouTube notification. I'm like uh, Army Painter. Like congratulations, you won a thing. And the first time, I'm like ah, this is a scam. I'm not even gonna go pay attention to this. And then I have a uh, one of our local players, Chris. He's just like, is your name TNT Paul Digits? <laughs> and I said, oh yeah. What is is this it? And he's like, you son of a bitch. Like or he was like, I, I'm so happy for him. Like oh wait, is this real? Like this is for real? Oh my god, is it happening? Anyway, like as soon as I saw that, because you know I wasn't planning on getting anything like that it's like ridiculous it's, it's 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 too much to comprehend but i mean dan you can attest to this like the first thing i did as soon as i found out about it like go to the moderator chat like on our discord server like guys look at all this prize support i just got us so i was like dude <laughs> dude is that an entire end cap what the hell <laughs> well congratulations first of all yeah thank you it is it is kind of insane we've never done anything quite like that before and i mean serendipitous genuinely for us that it would Number one, it would be a guy who's on a popular War Machine podcast, right? Like, that's that's cool. That's that's karma saying, great job, Army Painter, right? <laughs> um, but two, the fact that you're going to use it to put it back into the community, I just, I think it speaks absolute volumes. Um, yeah, and- so... Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Keep going. I'm no, sorry. no. I mean, it's it's. I I think, I hope that you take some of the paints for yourself, please. So, like... I, I like growing up, I've always just learned to be a giver, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just as soon as I saw it and I was taking stock of all this stuff, the, the first thing I thought of is like, we could do this for uh prize support. What we're going to go do is like half the bottles are just going to go turn into like um, grab bags for our events. So that way people are able who are who are, are, are playing in our events in Delaware War Machine. Anyway, I, I have to go talk with Dan and Erica and folks to see if it's the steamrollers or if it's just like the Nova and Sussy Scub. It's definitely gonna be there for the Sussy Scub. Regardless, prize support for events can get pretty pricey. And this this humble donation of Paul's will keep us going for a long time. But don't worry, Adam. We'll make sure he takes care of himself and keeps some for himself. <laughs> well, no, like so so the other half of it, I, I was talking to to everyone else is what I want to do is a, a community library. So for our players who are in Wilmington, if they want to go borrow any paint, just let me know and they can just use it and use it and they give it back because again like like as dan and i were talking about earlier like these products are so phenomenal that it wouldn't be right to just hold on to them and like not give them to anybody so and i mean like i'm not going to use every single paint like i i I, i'm not going to own enough models to use all this paint so why not allow other people to go get the use of it yeah he's not wrong i can paint like a ton of miniatures with maybe five drops of the stuff so (laughs) yeah yeah, so like for me, it's like half of it, like it was four bottles of each color. Half of them is going for prize support for grab baggies, so people can get like anywhere between three or four bottles. Like I was just figure out like the math for that one, and then the other half is just going to be a painting library for our our local players. So that way, even if our local players like win a, a drop set, they or it you know they get the prize, they could just 
keep with a community library and let somebody else who's maybe traveled who can't use the the paint library. Yeah, ultimately, I think the goal is to at least just get the word out about the products, right? So someone wins four bottles at a tournament and then they come back and they come in the next week and they're like, I tried painting this miniature, but I don't have this color. So we lend it to them and they bring it back next week and they're like, I all right, well, that was so good that now I need to buy that. So now they're purchasing, you know, more paint off the oh, And I was just going to say like, hey, to all the community, because inevitably I'm going to look and our sales are going to drop in Delaware. Right? <laughs> um, I'm sorry. No, no, absolutely joking. But, you know, if you do to any of the, the players out there that are going to benefit from this, if you do like the product, next time you go to a shop and buy, you know, your, your new unit or new miniature, throw a bottle of paint or throw something else on there as a, a thank you to uh, to your retailers. Just show your support to them if you can. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was just going to say that too. It comes back to what you were saying earlier. They're the pillar of the community, right? So we really need to make sure that we we speak with our wallets and we give back by rewarding those companies that make the products that we enjoy. You You pay for those products above all else because you want them to keep doing the good work that they're doing and giving you that product that you like. It's not even that, but also giving you your place to play, right? And we yes. even talked about that in like the, the first series. Like if you don't pay and they, they, they go away, you lose your place to go and get your games in. Yeah, That's and there's, there's no game store owners getting rich. It's it's people that own game stores. They do it because they love it. They do it because they like to give back. They do it because they love the games. They love the hobby. I've not met in my many years doing this, a you know multimillionaire game store owner. So... They do it because they love it and they love y'all. So anything you can do to support your stores, please. Yeah. And anyone that's got a ton of money and runs a game store, well, let's just say they weren't they weren't making that money off the game store. <laughs> yeah, they, they have another job. <laughs> yeah. It's all of their other properties. <laughs> but Adam, just going back to the previous point, like, you know, for Army Painter, thank you so much for the the rack, for the opportunity for us to be able to share it with so many people. Like it's It's a great way to punctuate an era. Yeah, I that that's a great way to that's a great way to say it, Dan. Thank I couldn't you. think of a better way or a better winner for that matter. You know, we, we give a lot back to the community as well. We 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 have supported tournaments with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in prize support every year. So I, we know the struggle. We recognize it as well. So the fact that you guys are then in turn doing it very much speaks kind of to our DNA. And I think it's so cool. So thank you. I just have to say, though, if I ever make it to Delaware or, you know, the greater Philadelphia area and, and end up at like a, a war machine show or, um, or a tournament and I see an unpainted army, I'm going to be super pissed. <laughs> <laughs> They're not well, with us. putting on the spot now. <laughs> Yeah, Adam, I do have to say it's great work because it really does, in fact, translate to customers. I mean, Paul and I were telling you earlier how we literally got our first set of army paints, uh, you know, over uh, just about a year ago now at uh, that last Nova convention. And I had been using GW until I got that box set and I started using mm-hmm. your paints and I just said, nope, done with GW. Forget this. I And, and, and that's the dream, man. Um, that's that's what success looks like. So congrats on that part. Uh, you know, there's a lot of companies, they say work hard, play hard, right? And that's kind of their motto. And uh, this isn't lip service. That's the truth at our company. Whether we're playing games or just having fun at work or having a, a killer Christmas party. You know, we, we work really hard, but we do reward ourselves for it. And 
fortunately, we've been able to reward ourselves a lot these past couple of years. You know, we bust our butts. We're competitive people, uh, and it really drives us to do well. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're hobbyists and gamers too. So we just want to do the best thing and make the best products that we can for the people that we play games with, you know. So I appreciate the recognition, but we're all very fortunate to, to work in a field of work that we love, right? Uh, hell yeah. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> 100%. Well, Adam, what we want to do now is move into the next uh, segment of the show where we actually had some questions for you and the Army Painter. These questions, we we did not let you know ahead of time. So these are honest things. This sounds like a fun game. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So I just want to do this because I always like asking the dad question. How do you find time balancing your hobby now? with your work, your two girls, and a company that focuses on keeping people outdoors and not at the painting table? You know, it, it's, I will say since COVID, it's been, a, it's been more difficult. And we also, you know, we live in Louisiana now. And while there's a, a solid scene here, it's not a huge scene, you know, so my gaming has been an all time low, but I've been doing, I've been pushing myself in the hobby aspect. So, you know, fortunately, I, I, I do work in the paint industry. So I have to test product quite a bit. You know, Thomas is, uh, you know, he, he does the lion's share of the product development, but we do all test the products and we have our hands in it. It's, you know, at the end of the day, I'm telling stories when, uh, you know, when you're, when you're marketing, you're telling stories, when you're doing promotions, you're telling stories. I have to understand the product all the way through so that I can tell the best story about it. And I, I like to push the product through its paces. You know, how do you test products? You, you paint miniatures. So, you know, the my new Imperial Guard army, you know, a lot of that was painted during the testing of Speed Paint 2.0. You know, I've got a large Space Marine army and half of that army, and you can tell by looking at it just very slightly, was developed when we were doing the War Paints Air Range. You know, so it's, I do find time to paint. It's harder, especially, you know, I've got two kids in dance class now, not just one. You know, my wife is a business owner herself. She's in the Air Force Reserve. So she's, you know, gone one weekend a month. You know, it's, it's, it's not as easy as it used to be to get out and just go, you know, play two rounds of 40K. But I'll always find time to paint. I, I try, you know, to eke out, you know, I'd like to get at least two hours a week. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but... With my work schedule, you know, I'm up at four o'clock in the morning for meetings at work Monday and Wednesday. So, you know, after lunch, I might take it a little bit easier and and just grab a miniature and paint it for the fun of it on Mondays and Wednesdays. So, you know, you try and make time and sometimes you just have to make time for the hobby. If you can't, you can't, then you dip your miniatures with Quickshade, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of innovations in the hobby section. Uh, I think I'm going to yeah. have to ask the uh, elephant in the room question for my first question. That is, do you know what Slap Chop is and what do you think of it? Okay, so A, I love Slap Chop. B, I love Rob, the Honest Wargamer. He is one of he is one of the greatest ambassadors for the hobby community. So he he's the guy that kind of invented it. Now, Rob has always told me that he doesn't like painting. And he's like, hey, do you want to see this video? I, I think I, I, I've developed a new way to paint miniatures. He sent me the slap chop video before it went public. And I thought it was hysterical, number one. Number two, you know, what he was doing was not a new technique necessarily. It's something I've been doing for many years. Actually, if you go watch the, the, the first speed paint how to use videos that I did a long, long time ago. We actually did something very similar to Slapchop with a Zenithal airbrush highlight. At the end of the day, anything that gets people enjoying painting miniatures, 
I think is a good thing. So I think we all owe Rob a, a debt of gratitude for, you know, those of you out there that slap chopped for the first time and learned to like miniatures or maybe got an army finished because of it. I think you owe Rob a, a thank you. And I think uh, us business owners, the people that make these transparent, you know, wash type, glaze type paints like speed paints, we owe him a debt as well. <laughs> Unfortunately, he doesn't accept sponsorship ever because I love the guy and I would love to support him. But yes, I know what slap chop is. I will tell you my preferred technique if you're going to do slap chop. It takes a little bit longer, but I think the payoff is much better. And if you have an airbrush, it's worth it. You do a, a gray to white highlight with a rattle can or airbrush. You dry brush it. Then you wash it with thin down quick shade dark tone the dark tone wash. Once that's dry, you hit it with just a little bit of white airbrush on like the head or the shoulders. And then you you start slapping the chop. Um, <laughs> give that a try. I find that that yields the best results. That's awesome. That's another, that's a whole nother layer. Um, Literally, it's another I, layer. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I had the same kind of experience as you. When I first bought into the, uh, the contrast paints I'd been using, I, I went to the guys at the hobby store and I was like, I've heard that these can be difficult to use or that if you don't use them correctly, you're not going to see it how you like it. What am I doing with this product before I purchase it? And they described the slap shop to me in 2019 and yeah. or 2020. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I went happily along my way and I painted an entire core box of Marvel crisis protocol and then some doing that technique. And then 2022 rolls along and I see this guy doing the slap chop thing. And I'm like, huh, I thought I thought of that. <laughs> yeah, right. But you're right. I, I mean, kudos to him for, for making it popular. Um, it's probably brought a lot of people back to the fold. I think so. And I, I think uh, a couple things. I think I think maybe, just maybe Louise had something to do with slap chop, by the way. Maybe. Uh, which might go on to prove that she's one of the greatest, you know, mainstream painting educators that in our community. And she's great. If you don't know Louise from Rogue Hobbies, please go look her up. On top of that, I just want to point out one thing. If you if you do the slap chop and you try and use a white speed paint or even a white contrast paint, I, I need you to understand that it's not going to work as the paint is designed to work because they're made to go over white and light base coats. So specifically with white tones, because they're a transparent paint, you're not going to get like a white overcoat over a grayish black gradient miniature. That's that's my public service announcement, <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I've. Um... So what happens when you put gray on gray? It's still gray. Uh, you get gray. <laughs> Depends on how dark or light the gray is underneath of it. Yeah. Um, the way it was described to me is that they tend to adopt the coloration or saturation of colors from whatever layer is underneath of them. So if you want darker tones and shades, then you should start with a darker base. And if you want like more robust, brighter colors you sh that are truer to the color that it says it is on the bottle, then you should have an almost purely white shade. And for me, when... I use this the most, it comes to a miniature's face or arms, anywhere that there's a lot of skin being shown, or as you had said, you know, any white highlights that might need to be done, things that really need to show that color and have it pop and be more true. I just paint them flat white. Yeah, that's that's same thing. If you're going to use it to maximize it and you have a white banner or a ribbon or a robe or something like that, 
go ahead and do your slap shop on everything else and then just give it a white or a very light base coat. But you, you touched on something that's actually really, I think, cool and unique with these paints is that you can shift the overall tonality just based on the base coat you use, even if you're not slap chopping. I've done multiple like army or small army type projects where I'll use a gray or even a light gray like ash gray as opposed to white as the base coat and skeleton bone as well. And just they just yield different results depending on what you're going for. So experiment like it's we always say, you know, if you're if you're ever in doubt, you know, use it on a test mini first. And I think everybody needs to have a test mini. It should probably be an owlbear or a dragon, something that has some texture. Try it on a test mini first uh, if you're ever in doubt or multiple test minis when you're trying to pick out a scheme and and cheat. Find your ways where you're going to cheat, you know. You know it makes a great palette? Um, WizKids makes this excellent beholder miniature that has a ton of different types of texture on it so it's got like scales but it's also got like teeth and a tongue and eye stalks and, and the that you know, like big eye in the float stand like there's a lot of like palette to work there work with there to to really test some things out and it's all in one miniature for like 20 bucks it's a great deal so i actually wanted to dovetail onto you're talking about with experimenting with paints and being a science teacher i love running experiments with my students you know with changing variables are you able to just talk about this process, not having to go into the weeds or the details of it, but how the formation of speed paints was like dialing in the pigments or the mm -hmm. mediums or, or, or those, like, what, what does that look like? Like, is there a, a notebook with like, you know, with values in it? Like what, what does that look like? Well, it, it, it starts for 2.0 is a little bit different, right? With, with the first edition and love that you're a science teacher, by the way. My dad's a chemist by trade, and I have a family of, of chemical engineers. And he's actually been an invaluable counsel because he, you know, he's worked with paint companies at the mass market level before, so I could run ideas by him. Mm -hmm. Great product out there called Dirty Down Rust. It used to be called Model Maker's Rust Effect, which I love. Everybody at the Army Painter is a big fan of it. Um, and I just kind of like cheekily asked him, I was like, how would you make this? He's like, oh, I know. After seeing it once, he knows exactly how to make it, right? And I always find that that it, the science aspect of it really cool, even though I am not, I'm not a scientist. Um but at the end of the day with paint, you're working, even with, with something like speed paint, a one coat paint solution, you're working with three basic ingredients, right? You're working with pigment, whether that's a powdered pigment or it's a liquid pigment, right? You're working with a base that's going to be with something like speed paints or our war paints, you're working with an acrylic resin base, right? And then you have a solvent. And a lot of that solvent's going to be water and some other additives to achieve desired effects, retarders, and things of that nature. So with speed paint, obviously the, these paints are different than a standard acrylic paint because they're more transparent. There's very little to no oxide in the base. There you go, science teacher. Um, TiO2 <laughs> is a, a titanium dioxide. It's in your food. It's in your shampoo. It's in your toothpaste. It's what makes things white, essentially. These these products have a lot less to no, none of that in there to give it coverage. That's what gives paint coverage. So that's why speed paints behave the way that they do, but they're also insanely pigmented in comparison to a standard acrylic. So they become more fragile, right? So we play with different things, different fasteners, different different things to suspend the pigment. But with developing 90 colors, um, while also trying to reformulate was a bit tricky, right? Because as I, I said, that it's a more fragile paint to begin with because there's more pigmentation, there's less resin, 
for the cure. You're adding retarders in it to allow it to flow more. They're slightly glossy but dry matte, which is a, just some weird magic that happens. The 24 <laughs> colors in the initial range, 23 technically, it was very simple. We just had to pick the key colors that people needed. We thought that that would cover everything that anybody would ever need with these paints. But as soon as we launched it, retailers and customers were like, well, when are more colors coming? When are more colors coming? So we, we knew that we had to do more. And in that process, we decided to look at the formulation to see if we could make it more versatile, where Speed Paint 1.0 was really designed to hit you know, the beginner painters, the, the, the speed painters, you know, the army painters, the people that didn't necessarily have the skill to do more advanced techniques. That's where it really honed in what we saw was that advanced painters and people that wanted the paint to do more really wanted different attributes and additional attributes to the paint, which made it an even more tricky process. So there was a lot of notebooks, a lot of paper notebooks. There were a lot of Excel spreadsheets documenting percentages and changes, um, ratios, you know, and this went on for a very, very long time. And it's a lot of back and forth and it's a lot of mixing and getting right. And then you add to that environmental things that can happen and time and so creating paint is not, it's, it's not an exact science. And I think that's kind of what makes it fun. I love this kind of experimentation because I love numbers. I love numbers to an extent. <laughs> I'm teaching <laughs> math to my kid and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling again. Wow. Well, you guys got something against spreadsheet simulator. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I use Excel all the time, but I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that the people that designed and developed Excel did not plan for somebody like me to use it the way that I use it. <laughs> I, I am getting a good laugh at that because I've worked in IT my entire life, but this is neither here nor there. Speaking of that experimentation, which is there any particular innovation along this process that you think was the most important one when developing your uh, speed paints? Hmm. Innovation. I think there's innovation, yeah, I mean, definitely speed paint metallics are, are I mean, the, we were the first to make a one coat metallic paint solution. So that's definitely one. And to be honest, I've, I've, as long as I've been painting, and I do consider myself to be a pretty decent painter, I've never enjoyed or felt like I was good. I felt never felt confident at painting true metallic metals. That has completely changed my mind with speed paint metallics. I mean, they, they don't give the the range of contrast and tonality like the, the traditional speed paint colors do. There is some slight shading to it, but they adhere so easily. And, and I've never been able to get one coat coverage with any gold paint from any manufacturer <laughs> up until Preach. I started using the speed paint metallics. They are so easy to use. It makes painting metallics a joy. That would be the, the true innovation, but like the kind of like behind the scenes innovation. I think we got to thank Brent Amberger from Goobertown Hobbies because he gave us the idea of using practical naming. That's not so much science, even though it's we're using scientific descriptors along with our fun fantasy descriptions for the colors. Oh, like with a deep red or yeah, exactly. slightly olive and stuff. Like it, it, I remember hearing the same thing and it makes it so much easier before you go and grab the bottle. Like, what is this supposed to be? Exactly. And at least you have an idea what it should be before like, oh, you yeah. put it on God the God help me. I, don't, I still don't know what umbral umber is. Especially with a product <laughs> like speed paint because they're so they're so heavily pigmented that you you could never get an accurate you know when you look at an acrylic paint in a in a somewhat clear bottle you understand and you have a good understanding of what that that paint is going to look like when you apply it to the model because it's a, a an opaque paint essentially with these transparent paints and as much pigment as they have it's very difficult to judge so i, I think that that is another innovation thank you brent and it it hit 
a, a segment of painters, which we actually, I would say once a week, once every other week, we get uh, an inquiry on social media or through customer service from somebody who's colorblind or color challenged. And they're looking for the right color to add a highlight. And they, you know, they were a good color that would be a compliment to the one that they're using. This will help make that a little bit easier for some some people that are color challenged, I believe. But my, my take, like my favorite bit about Speed Paint 2.0 is we started to include more titanium dioxide in some of the colors, a specific color like Howling Sand that Dana Hal developed and some of the pastels that are in the range. Just because it it's almost like a hybrid speed paint slash war paint, it gives you a little bit of coverage and it, it just gives a different effect. They're great, the pastels are great for glow effects, you know, and magical effects. So that was like a low key innovation that I really liked. It's not really an innovation, but it's uh, just something that we did different with those colors. So speaking on that innovation of the metallics, one of our you know resident painters in our meta, his name is Chris. Hi, Chris. And he was asking if you could answer a question for him in that, are you considering expanding or adding to your speed paint metallic colors in the same way that there was um, you know, an expansion on your metallic color war paints and i think the colors he's referring to is i, I think it's like metallic colors paint set like the azure magic elven armor zephyr yeah, pink colors yeah, glittering gemstone green colors. gemstone red mm-hmm. or ge- yeah so the the short answer to that is no the long answer to that is you never know with our company a good indicator that it's not going to be anytime soon because you know we launched war paints and that retail display many many years before the metallics color set came out and truth be told i think if you look at all of the box sets that we have, and even categories, metallic colors do not sell well, <laughs> believe it or not. That's crazy. Yeah, they, they really don't. I, I think that they were like a huge hit when they first came out, but how often are you going to use some of those colors? They're great colors, and I think you could find a lot of great use for them. Some of them are even in the air range, but I don't know that we're going to have that in the speed paint range anytime soon. I, I can actually see that being accurate because I look at some of these colors and I, I got a huge lot from Reaper Mini like when I first started doing my miniature paints, but I got colors I never even used before or like I had the intent that I paint this one thing and I never use the color again. So I understand where you're coming from. And really some of the speed paints that you have, you can just use it as that armor color and it does a pretty gosh darn good job of like doing what you want it to do. Or use a silver base coat and just apply a speed paint color over top. It yep. actually gives a really fantastic effect. And watch watch Goobertown's video review because he covers that in his in his very first speed paint review. Yeah, I, I tried that technique on a uh, Archon from War Machine. And it had like these you know metallic angel wings kind of, and and I painted the whole thing like my normal metal color. And went over it with a blue, and it looks iridescent. So I I can second that. I, it's a it's a neat. Uh, it was a neat experiment for me. So so Adam, because you were talking about your time of painting, right? And you said that you are a good painter, but like not the like I, I don't know if you said expert or so. But I, I just want to get your opinion on something. Sure. Where when it comes to miniature painting skills, I think people can argue that the the pinnacle is being able to do freehand designs or non-metallic metals or something else. As a painter, a miniature painter, what do you think these skills shows peak performance in the hobby? And then follow-up question to it, what curriculum or process would you refer to somebody to get better at painting or to learn these skills? Hmm. So I think the pinnacle 
is something like non-metallic metal. You've achieved the ability to do non-metallic metal. You are now, I think, a good painter. And we actually had a tutorial come out with Thomas, who painted some of those Rough Riders that I spoke about a little bit ago. And he did probably the simplest non-metallic metal I've ever seen. It was absolutely incredible. So I urge you to go go check that out. Yeah, so non-metallic metal is kind of one of those things, wet blending, you know, once you learn how to wet blend, or even, it doesn't even have to be wet blending, but like, when you learn how to blend in a manner that that works for you, like I paint with a lot of texture, so stippling and feathering are, are I even employ crosshatch in a lot of my painting when I'm doing higher level stuff. You know, those are things that are, are easier to to learn, but will benefit you greatly as you as you as you grow. I will say, you know, watch Thomas paint in any of our tutorials. And we have I did say that we hired a second videographer. We also hired a second studio painter. We have loads of content in the works. So we hope to be doing everything from tabletop level, you know, battle ready to tabletop plus where you speed paint your army and then add highlights on after the fact to masterclass level tutorials like the one that we just put out. So if you followed any of the Rough Rider series, then you get into just a, what, what you're going to get from us in the future. But there's so many talented artists out there. You could learn a lot watching my dear friend Adam Loper, Uncle Adam from Tabletop Miniatures. He's a great person to learn the basics and then, you know, additional technique from. And then Sam Lenz for me is is a paint god. You want to see the best techniques explained and uh, from a true artist who understands how to communicate it. Go watch Sam Lenz on YouTube. He's incredible as well. And there's there's loads of other people. Vince Venturella is great. I mean he he's a born educator and a very fantastic painter. Uh, he's got a great YouTube channel. Those are the best places to do it from home. But I think that and also Rogue Hobbies got to mention. Louise, because she's great and uh, a great paint educator. But you know, go to these events, go to Nova, go to go to LVO, go to Adepticon and take a class and take a class from somebody you've never heard of before. That That's that's another great way to learn because you're going to learn from some of the best, somebody like Caleb Wissenbeck and, and, and from CK Studios. He does loads of these things. Thomas is constantly going to seminars to either teach, participate, and and as a as a student and that's why he's developed to such a high level he was just at one last weekend and i think the number one thing that you can do i would say two things is push yourself try different things and don't be afraid of it because at the end of the day it's just paint you're not going to ruin the model by painting it you you only make it better every time you add paint to it you can always strip it you could paint over it prime over it you know don't don't be afraid to try something because just because we were taught the mike mcveigh style of miniature painting you know in the 90s doesn't mean that's how minis have to be painted you know there's so many different things that you can do using sponges using dry brushing there's no wrong way to paint a miniature and at the end of the day it's going to look better because you added paint to it when you go to play your game as we said earlier in the show but have have a that the next thing is have people that you can you know bounce ideas back and forth of you know thomas has been that for me tyler's a, a new hire that i have who's working our you go look at go to, to mango miniatures you know he, he's he's our new social media specialist and and he's got his own blog that showcases you how to paint miniatures and he's fantastic but have somebody that you can send your work to or show your work to to ask for honest feedback i will second that i often take my miniatures to my wife and get told to leave the room same i can I can say that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Same, but uh, no, no. Um, 
So it's it's a uh, kind of an inside joke, but whenever I come up to her, she'll say, you know, I have no idea what I'm looking at. You know, can't you talk to somebody else that understands what you're trying to accomplish? And I'm like, yeah, she right though. <laughs> but um, uh, next up, we wouldn't be able to get away without asking this question. Out of all of your speed paints, and this could include metallics, which one color is your favorite? Gilly do. Gilly do. Okay, I haven't tried that one yet. Oh, it's it's a it's like an off green color. I think I remember seeing that one on, it's, the, on it's, the rack. It's like a a brightish a brightish army green color. I, I like it because it's a good color, but I, I also a it has a ridiculous name. But the name is a double entendre. Actually, it's like a triple entendre. <laughs> and my good friend Brent at Goobertown really hates it. But I like it because <laughs> so a, a gilly do I believe it's spelled D H U is like a Scottish like folklore monster. We all know what a ghillie suit is, and then it's not spelled D-H-U, it's spelled D-E-U, like do sitting on a ghillie suit. So that that name works on so many levels, and so does the paint, but that's why it's my favorite. <laughs> Another one is warrior skin needs to be in every painter's bag. Warrior skin. Uh, like, oh, yeah. No, I use warrior skin on my Orgoth. Like, I, I have a bunch of different skin tones, and that's one of the ones I throw on them. It's a really, really great color for them. You could use it for, for everything from, obviously, a skin tone to leather to... It's, it is makes such a good glaze, you know, when you're trying to add tone to, to your miniatures. I also use it for texturing on my, my Imperial Guard tanks. Like, warrior skin is one of those that I think every painter needs to have. Yeah, when it comes to the colors, Blood Red from the 1.0 set... I still use it. I know it's like the 1.0. Oh, it's redone in the 2.0 range, though. By the way, is it? Yeah. Okay. I I still I just still have my like my 1.0 bottle. And I still use it, but it's by far my favorite color. Uh, whenever I throw it on fabrics, on robes, on clothing, it just always gets the desired effect that I want, and I've never been disappointed when I throw it onto a uh, onto a model. Yeah, it's a good one. I uh, I don't even remember the name of your speed paint leather color. Because it's no longer the armor painter's paint; it's my leather color now. That's the only one I use. <laughs> Hardened leather, <laughs> isn't that it? Yeah, that's 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 a good one too. Re- revolutionized. I don't have to have like three coats of undercoat just to get like a healthy leather color anymore. Just like I was so happy uh, getting your metallics earlier. Uh, you were saying about how you, you've never been able to paint a, a gold with just one coat. Yep. You know, I felt the same way. So this is a godsend. Awesome here. Well, speaking of colors, I actually had a question because I'm just ignorant. What is the name of the little blue goblin that shows up everywhere? Is there like a history of him or something? Oh, Dip It. Yeah. Dip It. <laughs> yeah. That's Dip It. I love his name. Um, so Dip It, Dip It, the story goes when Bo and Jonas first started pouring you know, tapping the quick shade and canning them in the shed. They started to come to work and stuff would be dumped out and mislabeled and it, it became a real pain in the butt, you know. And then one day they walked in and there was this little blue guy and he was there and and yeah, that's he's been with the company ever since. He's like the he's like the gnomes that fix your shoes in the night. <laughs> That's awesome. He gets really upset. The funny thing is, is that he gets really upset when everything's a mess. Like, like when when you get a box and paints like all jumbled around, he really doesn't like that. You know, so even though he kind of started his journey with the army painter, messing up everything that Bo and Jonas were doing, like he's he's made a complete 180. So he, he's the guy that kind of ensures that you guys, are, that our customers are taken care of. A real success story for, for you know, giving the bootstraps to the, the downtrodden. Yeah. <laughs> we take care of dip it <laughs> that's awesome i love that name 
All right, so I I have a question because while we are uh painting our miniatures, we like our beverages of choice. Mm-hmm. Do you drink Mary Monks so that way you don't drink the paint water by accident? <laughs> I love Mary Monks. I haven't had it in such a long time. Where where, where which Instagram profile was that on? <laughs> I think it was your um the the Beyond the Brush Studios. Oh, one. I haven't. Used I just that saw like a picture years. of it. I'm like. So I have a new one. <laughs> I just like saw that. Yeah. I have a new one called Tactical Painter, and that's all my my current stuff. All right, we'll, we'll make sure to put that in the show notes that we have that. So I I I love I love me a good Belgian beer, even though it's 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 made in outside Philadelphia. But I also love anything Philadelphia. So yeah, Mary Monks is it's a good one. I haven't had it in a very long time. I would say my, Mary Monks might be my favorite. Golden Monkey by Victory is up there as well. I don't get to drink a lot of Belgians because um they don't. They're not popular here in New Orleans, but yeah, that's a good one. I, I also, I'm a sucker for champagne. Who isn't? Who doesn't love champagne? The bubbly drink of choice. I know a lot of people that don't like champagne. <laughs> All right. I think I've got a nice good one to, to play us out here on these interview questions. What was the first model you ever painted? And do you know where it is right now? Okay. So the first model that I ever painted was the original pewter aerial model from the uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battles Wood Elves range. That model, and I'm bummed about this, I discovered it long after I had rediscovered miniatures, right? Because I, I, I didn't start again until I was 27 or something like that. And I found it when we were moving from South Carolina to Louisiana. And sadly, we, we, we moved. We were supposed to be in a place for like six months while we built a house. We ended up being in that house for six years while we built a house. Um, but when we moved into this house about two years ago now, I went to unpack all my old miniature stuff and it wasn't there anymore. There was one wing. It's pretty sad. Oh no. Oh no. Do you do you still have the wing? It's up in the attic right now, packed away with some other stuff. <laughs> Gotta put that on display. It counts, man. If anybody has, an, <laughs> legit, if anybody has the, an OG aerial model, it's it's not even that great of a sculpt. I would love to get it and paint it today in the same color scheme that I painted the original one. And then paint the new Alareal model in a similar scheme and then put them next to each other. So I haven't been able to find one. Well, there you go, folks. If you want to help the Army Painter, send him a miniature. He'll, he'll social really at thearmypainter.com. They'll send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll trade you some paints. <laughs> the the painting model is always a i remember here it's it's a it's a fun question i remember one guy i think it was uncle al was when he said like always keep the first miniature you ever painted so you always have like something to look at when you look at what you're up to or like if you think you can't get better like look how far you've came and absolutely my, my first one was an orc boy he's actually up I, I i took him out of the basement it, it's like his he has like red skin gray pants green viper boots it's like the goofiest looking model like i've ever painted and i was like in high school at the time i didn't know any better like and it's all base coded there's not even shading or anything like that i'm like this is really cool i think this is like the best thing ever everyone's gotta start somewhere <laughs> well, that is great advice you you, you should keep it and, and keep your first army too i i'm bummed because i sold mine but at least i know a, a, a good friend has it hold on to your stuff i was gonna say yep i agree with that take it from me it is Never going all the hours you put into playing that army or painting that army or just looking at it on the shelf, whatever, whatever you do, because you are here doing this hobby, it will never be worth the hundred, two hundred dollars or case of beer that you decided to get to part with it. You traded an army for a case of beer? No, 
I was the one giving the case of beer at that point in time. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's a great deal for you. Because it was free army. And I was like, I have to do something. This is just feels wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Adam, let's go ahead and end this the, this podcast with doing our final segment. So the the big thing right now that we like talked a lot about like your experience and the army painter, what I wanted to do is focus on probably one of the, I don't want to call it a bigger issue, but we need a solution for this is coming up with a, a reasons or coming up with a plan for painting our little plastic metal and, and resin toys at this point. So I, I guess I want to start off by asking is how do you think we can encourage folks to paint their models? And, and like, I know people who don't want to pick up a paintbrush. They, they feel like it's a lot of work. Like what, what advice or what would you think would be the best way to go and do that? And I keep on pushing speed paints because we've had, players not self-identify as not the best painter and after using the speed paints they're like i can actually accomplish a lot more and now they're like pinning up a, a storm at this point now is is this specifically directed at you know your local war machine community or is this in general i mean i i'm gonna say this whenever we go off to events whether if it's a steamroller or if it's like an open play and i know that not everybody has the time to paint i know my my sister she has a lot going on and she actually has a Chris painting up her dusk now at this point. So I, I get everyone's situation is different, but if you could, whether it is a war machine player or a 40 K player, yeah. like how, how can we, how can we help raise them to the level of like, no, you can actually do this and it's not that hard. So I think it, it, sadly, I think it has to start with community leaders, right? Either you have to put laws in place that you can't participate in events unless they are painted. And I think, you know, we, we, we all like to give GW crap, but I think it's because we we are so invested in their games, right? But, you know, they did a great thing when they introduced, I think it was 8th or ninth edition, when they said, yeah, you're going to get 10 points for your game if your miniature's painted. Like, that is, you, you can't not do it, right? Like, you need those 10 points when you go and play. Plus, you know, tournament, go, tournament organizers have painting requirements. They have to be blah, 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 blah. But really... I think you just need to show people that it's another fun part of the hobby that they can enjoy. So with products like speed paint and contrast and quick shade out there that make it as, and, and techniques like slap chop that make it as easy as it is, where you're literally painting inside the lines where there's almost instant gratification, there's almost no excuse, you know? And I know that that might sound mean, but it, it's the truth. You know, painting is so easy and so fast nowadays thanks to these types of products. You know, I would almost take a, a look at it from a different perspective. Um, if I'm a, a store owner or a club owner or a TO, I would want to start small. You know, I know everybody wants to play that 2,000 point game or that 34 point game, you know, but I think that you start with like a slow growth league. Okay, you can show up today, but you can only have three minis and they have to be painted. And in two weeks, we're going to do it again and you can bring another, you know, two to five minis or, you know, two units until you build everybody up, you know, that way it's, you're, you're also teaching people. And that requires a lot of somebody to invest that, that, that time and energy, but it's sometimes the only way. I don't know. Otherwise you can't police it, right? There's, there's no paint police. That just gave me an idea. <laughs> Dip it in the cop outfit. <laughs> I just, army painter paint police. They just start running around tournaments. He's going to be, people he's gonna be throwing for... quick shit at people like the Keystone cops. With exactly. Throwing lemon ring pies around. It's going to be a mess. <laughs> so our, our, our go-to wooden spoon award is a, is a, a can of quick shit 
shade dip for the, the last place winner uh, in an event because, you know, obviously their army was so bad that they need to go buy another one and get it painted real quick. <laughs> what better way to do that? <laughs> I, uh, so, I mean, like we were talking about, though, the events where you're making things more painted. I, I guess I want to just make a mention was like, I think War Machine had a bit of a worse rep with this because at least for or going back to your statement about the unpainted armies, War Machine, I think, had a worse rap about it because during the realm of Mark III, there was a huge shift to the 2D neoprene uh, terrain. I don't know if you're familiar with what that is. Uh, I'm very familiar. I, that's that's it, my biggest, two, my two biggest turnoffs to War Machine was that there really was no terrain. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people at my local store that did not play with any paint on their miniatures. And and I mean, you're you're hitting the two things on what I think what hurts. I mean, like what hurts hurts it, recruitment. It's not an immersive experience. Like it is fun. We are when we participate in a war game, right? Whether it's a or or, or you know a dungeon crawler RPG adventure, we are telling a story on the tabletop. We are there. Yes, I am there to kick your teeth in, and I want my tank tracks to leave tracks on your face as I run over that unit and go blow up your next one. You know, like, yes, I want to beat you, but at the end of the day, we're playing a randomized game. We're trying to master a randomized game so that epic shit happens on the tabletop. And to me, epic things don't happen on the tabletop when they're plastic, pewter, and resin without paint on them. It just takes me out of that immersive experience. Epic things are not epic unless they look cool. Exactly. They got to look epic to be epic. In this world of everyone's senses getting saturated with social media and all of the things that go on all around us, you don't, your game does not survive if it doesn't look cool, if it doesn't have curb appeal. That's why houses sell. You want your community and your miniatures and your game to do better? Doll it up a little bit. You got to invest that time. I also feel, and I don't, I don't want to sit on a high horse by any stretch of the imagination, but when I go to, especially when I was playing tournament play, when I go to an event and I'm taking a weekend away from my family, when I'm taking four hours to go to my game store for a league game, and I've invested hours and hours and made those hours happen so that I can give you a good experience on the tabletop with my finished army. Like that is to me, it's, it's, it's a sign of mutual respect, right? It's the terms of engagement uh, is that we show up and we've both vested time, whether it took you 15 minutes to paint that model or it took me 15 hours, it, it doesn't matter. And I've had so many people come up, especially when they find out that I work at the Army Painter, if I'm at an event, they're like, no, it's not great. No, no, no. Everything's painted. I see details. I see a wash on that. You know, I recognize the work put in and I appreciate it. And, and it's just, to me, it's a sign of respect. I don't care if it's rudimentary, you know, slap chop speed paint dipped dry brushed i don't care if it there's paint on it it's gonna be a better experience for me yeah because you thought about it and because you cared because you cared exactly you cared enough to give me that four hours or three hours at the tabletop to give me that experience that i signed up for essentially you, you cared enough to walk up to somebody that works at the army painter and immediately be self-conscious about your miniatures and your paint job that's real investment that's that's someone that's committed that's the other thing too people are so like they get embarrassed about what they've painted on their army i don't care i don't i don't care how quote unquote bad it looks or you think it looks the fact that you're putting in the effort and the work 
I'm impressed. It's like it's like to yep. me, it's almost like the people that make fun of the fat guy at the gym. <laughs> he's living his best life out here, man. Come on. Well, he's, he, but he, he's trying. At least he's working it, right? Yeah. You show up with three coats and a wash. Like I'm still happy for you because you're doing something, right? Or maybe you're just starting your painting journey. You haven't learned. Like we all started somewhere. So yeah, like at the same time, like we want to lift up the painting and the quality. We also can't gatekeep and push people down right. if if they're not at your level. So I think it's a two-way street. Yeah. I was saying that that level of investment is a th- it's it's truly genuine. So seeing somebody, you know, invest that much of their own consideration into the projects that are doing on the tabletop, it it makes me have a better time playing them, honestly. I you know, I know that yeah. they're fully there you know with me playing that game that's time invested in between two people you know as much as we want to kick each other's teeth in like you said it it's still just two hours of getting to know somebody and like having a a dedicated conversation with them and you get that so little of that these days it's refreshing when you do i've met some of my best friends and so many of them playing games and i i think of that that experience especially at a tournament or at a new store when you show up and you don't know that person across from you, it's, it's, that's three hours of your life that you're never going to get back. And you're there to have a good experience and potentially make a new friend. And in some cases, a lifelong friend, right? And it's like showing up to a first date. If you show up and you're, you're sloppy and <laughs> your, your pants are ripped and you've got mustard all over your shirt, like you're not putting your best foot forward. The first, the first foot forward is, is showing up with a painted army, in my opinion. So I actually kind of wanted to, to shift gears at a question to pose to both of you guys just to think about this. You know, a lot of these events, I go back to Nova, where we gave prizes to the best painted armies. But then there are certain armies that just don't have any paint on them, right? Do you think that like giving a prize like the the be- like a paint set to the best painted armies is the right call? And not to say like to to disown what they've accomplished by all means they 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 deserve the reward the award they deserve the recognition for their beautiful miniatures. But you're giving somebody who might have all the things that they need to make those models look good, and and you're losing an opportunity to get those resources to someone who could actually use them what are your thoughts on that i mean that's a tricky one right because you always you always want to reward you, you want to reward people for doing the good thing and we do realize and and we're, we're you know we are a paint manufacturer after all so it is kind of silly to give somebody who wins best painted more paint you would think that that's what they want but they they tend to have all the paint that they want so you know we're, we're pursuing different options for prize support other than just paint sets but, you know, that's an interesting thing. But how do you reward somebody who... Because I, I think that the people that show up with an unpainted army to a tournament, they, they're not... More often than not, like, okay, if they're new to the game, if, they, they might show up to an event like that without an unpainted army. But I think that those cases are, are edgy and rare. I think that more often than not, the person that's showing up is chasing the meta, putting something new in the army. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to chase the meta, you got to back it up too. It's actually just kind of like... It gave me this idea. I, I got to think about this. I want to pursue this a little bit further because we're talking about the people that show up that don't paint the miniatures. Where was I going with this? Bear with me for a second, guys. I'll, I'll give you a break for a minute. I say that an artist always needs art supplies. And it may sound like you're giving more of everything to the man that already has everything, sort of. But you know what an expert level painter is going to be able to do with additional paint bottles? Draw more people into the hobby because... 
Absolutely. They're probably going to have friends and they'll come back home and say, hey, I got these uh, 15 new paints. I know that you have not been painting because you didn't want to buy a set. Here you go. And now he's got a friend to paint with. Those products are not going to waste in the hands of a good painter. A, a wet palette? I don't know. Not so much. They probably have enough of those. <laughs> wet palettes are easy to give away, though, because yeah. they don't cost anything to ship and they're easy to store. That's that's why a lot of companies give wet palettes and things like that. I remember where I was going. So I, I was approached recently. I don't know if you guys know this, but I used to be the coach of the U.S. National Warhammer 40k team at ETC, went on to become WTC, uh, didn't coach at it because now we are a sponsor of WTC. I was asked that there's a new US Wargaming Federation in development. And I was asked by one of the leaders if I would consider joining as kind of a, a community outreach director or something along those lines and trying to think about how we you go about doing something like this and building out clubs and requirements. And that that might be one way to do it uh, is is you know, you have this Wargaming Federation. If you're going to a Federation event, you know, you have to carry a card. You're a, a registered, you know, a member of this this Federation. You're playing in this Federation-sanctioned event. And maybe you're granted a certain kind of leeway if you are a novice. You know, I used to race bikes, and you'd have a Cat 5 if you were racing road bikes, or a novice if you were racing BMX. And then you would get to like intermediate and expert and then professional level. So maybe if you're a novice, they give you, I don't know, 10 months or 10, 10 tournaments where you can play with an unpainted army. But by that 11th one, you have to be painted or you lose your license, right? Like you, you're no longer a licensed member of the U.S. Wargaming Federation. That might be one way to do it. But I mean, that, that really forces the hand, right? But at least gives them the time to grow. I think another challenge that you might run into is that you might have these players who pick up an army that might only be doing it. I think earlier you were referring to chasing the meta, yeah. where it's like, what is the best thing to go play? I'm going to go and get these models because it is the best thing. This is the Orgoth or, you know, the, towards the end of Mark III, like this is the circle. This is, you know, all these things that people you know, put on this pedestal. But it can be done, guys. I mean, it, it can be done. And I hear you because I, I did it. And I did it for three years at a very high level and went to event after event at to after event constantly changing my list and and you know games workshop miniatures aren't cheap and you know i had a child at home i, I had a full-time job you know it, it it's hard it's hard work and yes you you would probably rather sit down and watch you know the same episode of big bang theory that you've seen 14 times already or you might rather go sit at the bar and have some drinks with your buddies but you know, you can do it. I can't tell you how many 2000 point armies I've painted in just a few days. If you just, if you're smart about it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't require a whole lot to get it to a decent tabletop standard. I know from experience. So then I guess like, let's go and end that with that, because let's say that we we're trying to, what are these best practices that you could think of that someone's like, all right, you know what? I'm going to carve out X amount of time because I, I listened to Adam you know, he said, I, I should try this out. What advice are you going to say right now yep. that could potentially get that person to, to paint that army this weekend? Okay, number one, and you could start start by going to thearmypainter.com. It's basically a choose-your-own-adventure based on if you're new to painting or if you want to learn advanced technique. But you can go right now and we can walk you through how to save time. That's our motto, get more time for gaming. It starts with, okay, what's my army? What color do I want it to be? Okay, you want your army to be, you know, bright blue. Okay, start with crystal blue uh, color primer and then go from there. So you've got the majority of your army done because you've you've just spray painted it in five minutes, right? Now, okay, you want to save even more time. 
So now let's look at speed paints. Let's look at washes. Let's look at dry brushing. Go ahead and block in, you know, that arm that you want to be yellow or that helmet that you want to be pink with white paint and maybe apply that wash, but you don't have to because you're going to use speed paints right over top. You've just saved so much time as opposed to like, okay, I'm going to paint that helmet pink over black. That's going to take 14 years. I understand why that's frustrating. So just make some smart decisions. And this is what I mean. Like I don't ever advocate cheating on the tabletop. That's stupid. Don't do it. That's breaking the rules. But when it comes to painting, cheat everywhere, everywhere you can. You know, if you can, if you can do something that looks good enough in a couple steps from four feet away at the tabletop level, it's not going to make a difference if you spent 15 hours highlighting that helmet. That's not what you're doing. You're army painting. And I think that's what people need to understand. I think a pedestal has actually been set by some really, really incredible YouTubers that are very popular. And I think that they're great people, but they are very, very talented painters and they're painting for YouTube and they're painting for entertainment. They're not army painting. So we have this standard that's out there of of what this model should look like because GW gave 1800 of them to to you know YouTubers so you're seeing these models that you want to buy and play with but they're all painted to these insane levels don't hold yourself to to anybody else's standard but your own and your group of friends that you're you know growing with in this hobby that we talked about earlier that's another another thing like the, the standard of paint today is just insane there's so many good painters out there but yeah just be smart about it pick your main color save a lot of time there and then just cheat with speed paint and and dry brushing. It's not that hard, and it's fun. I find it I find it very cathartic myself. I find it helps me relax and gives me time away from the noise of the world. That's that's one of the reasons why I paint. Can I actually ask? I know we were done with the interview questions, but I want to ask everybody right here: What do you listen to when you paint? If you listen to anything, I want to start with Adam. Sometimes I'll have a battle report in the background. I like having documentaries in the background, just random stuff. But occasionally, if it's if it's a jam session, I'm really painting. I also, I was late diagnosed with ADHD, which has made a lot of things make sense. Like I, had, I, I used to study with the TV on and music on at the same time. So like, if it's like a late hobby session and, you know, on like one of those weekend nights when my wife's on base, kids have gone to bed, I've poured myself a Mary Monks, I might have like Pandora on my TV. I know that sounds weird because what I'm about to say is not going to make any sense at all. And then on my phone or my my iPad in front of me, I'll have a football game on or I'll just have some TV running. And it I think the combination of the noise and having something just sort of out of sight visually helps to keep me focused when I'm painting. Because if I don't have anything, if I'm doing it in silence, I, I get frustrated and I have to stop. Hey Dan, what about you? I will put on some like, techno house stuff with a lot of background and very few words and i just kind of hit this groove and keep painting and, and you should that's how start I... every paint session off with dance yourself clean by lcd sound system <laughs> it's a good band <laughs> best song of all time uh something you might get a kick out of i recently because i listened to pandora too i'm in my little my little cubby down the basement i have alexa you know running pandora and I was uh, going back to my emo days of listening to him in high school. Anyone knows who that band is? I know is. who it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, it ended up shuffling, and I ended up hearing in this moment, band is like a, I think they're like a European like metal band. Just this lady just screaming like, like bloody murder, like the whole entire song, and like I, I end up created this playlist where it's just it's that Dorothy hailstorm just all these women uh 
you know, just like shouting and, and doing the thing. And my wife comes down, I was like, how can you listen to this? And, and you know, I, I go back to what you were saying because of the, you know, the ADHD thing. It's just like, you're not even listening to it. It just, it, it puts you in a zone. And that way you're able to hyper-focus on actually getting the models done. Yeah, white noise for somebody with ADHD is a billion things happening at once. That's why we're so good in stressful situations because we, we're, we're already used to, you know, consuming a lot of information at once because our brains are just wired that way. Stressful situations, that's just how I live, baby. <laughs> it's, it, apparently, <laughs> for 36 years of my life, I had no idea, but that's, it's, it all makes sense now. Yeah, we're, we're having a, uh, an ADHD powwow right now because I also have it very badly. <laughs> and uh, I like to describe it as living in a soft rain of post-it notes each with something very important <laughs> and individually unique written on them. Some of them halfway finished, though. But you still know what it means until you forget. And you can't put that one down mm-hmm. until you figure out what the second half of it was. That's right. And then you leave mid-conversation and you're like, oh, wait, no, I got to go do this thing real fast. <laughs> and you can't find that one that you knew you really needed at that one point, right? Because it was really important. You knew that it would, like, win the day if you found it. And you're digging through 500 times. And then you realize it's just been stuck against the back of another card this entire time. Oh no, Adam, that's my problem. I know where every one of those notes is and exactly what it says. And that's why there's no room in my brain for anything else. All right, well, gentlemen, I think this is going to be a good stopping point. So, Adam... <laughs> Before we derail this even further. <laughs> from from here in, uh, in Delaware and you know the Tried and True crew, we really want to thank you for giving us your time, representing the Army Painter. I'm telling you, like, the... The company is is kick ass. Like all the products you guys come up with have been an absolute banger. I sold Champion the the speed paints to anybody I talked to about it. I demoed it off to some folks nearby, and you know they're just happy with like the results, and and they they bought into it. So getting people paint who weren't doing it before. Uh, do you have any? plugs for adam or the army painter or or anything and and we want to give give you this time uh right now well a i just want to you know we talked a lot about the the company and uh we talked a lot about like the 100k thing i want to say to you guys again congratulations and it's amazing that you're you're using that generous prize to support your community and i think that that is freaking awesome so chapo to you guys hats off i would like to give a shout out i think because we're doing this Orktober thing and it's that time of year, please go follow us, Thomas Coltau, C-O-L-T-A-U painting, Coltau painting. Follow Tyler Mengel, Mengel Miniatures. Go follow me, Tactical Painter, on Instagram because we're all going to be contributing. And if you don't follow our socials on Insta threads, it's called X now, which is stupid. TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, highly recommend doing it now. We have we are weeks away from some some really awesome stuff, and uh, I think everybody's going to love to hear it and see it. And uh, it's something that we've all been working very, very, very hard on. And it would make me happy if all of the eyes were on it for my hardworking team members, because uh, we work hard to make good stuff for you guys. Well, it shows, and we enjoy it. And for my closeout, this is Dan saying that all painters are cheaters, and if you can't beat them join them that was perfect (laughs) yeah again like those speed paints like everybody if you had the opportunity like if you haven't ever tried them out like just go to your local game store pick up like the 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 10 color set starter set just like grab a random D D mini or two like off the wall take it home and just play with it and i guarantee that you're going to be very surprised on the ability like what you'll be capable of doing 
and how you're going to be motivated to to do more because that's i remember my comment i ended up saying that uh you 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 hit it earlier was that these paints made me fall in love with painting again it just it changes my relationship with it it doesn't look like a chore it's not like the thing i have to go do to make my army look good it's like i actually feel like i'm accomplishing something and something i'm actually really proud of so uh, again thank you thank you guys thank you for what you do thanks for being you know i think anybody that has a podcast that's running tournaments you guys are hobby heroes in your own right and uh, thanks for lifting it up and thanks for lifting up painting at at, at, uh, you know in your community let's get more armies painted oh yeah perfect that concludes this podcast episode from here in delaware thank you so much for joining us this was a bit of a long one but if you made it here to the end thank you so much uh, stay tuned for our other releases, the battle reports. If you haven't been able to go take a look, we have the Acres machine that we're starting to do now. So make sure you stay tuned and we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care, everybody. See you. Bye, everybody. Bye.